Psalm 55. Victory over the voice of the enemy. Victory over the voice of the enemy. Psalm 55 and verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me and in wrath. They hate me. My heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove for then would I fly away and be at rest. David here is praying. This is a record of his prayer. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is scripture. And it teaches us that David was hurting inside. He was hurting in his heart. If we were to take this same description to a secular therapist, they would give us various different Opinions, But here in scripture, it goes back to verse number three, where it says all of this stuff that's happening inside my heart, all of this pain, all of this confusion, all of this fear, all of this doubt, all of this desire to simply fly away goes back to a voice, the voice of the enemy. We're going we're gonna to identify that voice today. We're going to find out how we can have victory over the voice of the enemy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would give power. I plead the precious blood of Jesus Christ over this particular message and over this time that we have. I pray that distractions, Lord, that you would squelch those. Lord, I pray for each person in here today, perhaps they're listening to an amplified voice of the enemy. Somewhere along the line, somebody said something or maybe their own self said something to them as an interpretation of what somebody else did or said. And it's more than just self-talk, Lord. We have an enemy. And yet you've given us the victory over that enemy. You've given us your word and a path forward. But so many people find themselves stuck because they keep listening to the same voice. It instills fear. It instills doubt. And I pray, God, that you would help us to understand a bit better how to have victory over the voice of the enemy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, historically, if we're going to look at this in the proper way, when we interpret scripture, we always go first to historically what's going on. What's going on in the passage? You always find out What's happening here? What is he talking about in his life? 
And then once we understand what's happening in his life, then truth begins to surface. This is what's true about the passage. This is what's true about what David is saying. And then the transcendent truths that are not just true for him and his time and what's happening in his life. Very, very quickly, the truths begin to rise to the surface to say, this is true no matter who you are. And then we begin to look at the New Testament because we live in the New Testament age. And we begin to apply that further revelation of God's word into our New Testament age after Christ has died on the cross, after scripture has been complete, after we have the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. And so all of these things come together to form um, how we can have victory over the voice of the enemy. Let's take our Bibles. Uh, you can listen to me read. That's perfectly fine. But if you would like to turn 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12. So this particular story, this enemy that David is talking about, um, is it's, it's one voice, but it really, it really starts with someone else. And we can learn an amazing truth when it comes to the enemy of our soul that oftentimes... Uh, the voice of Satan is not like what it may be like in the movies and not that I've ever seen a movie, but just kind of in popular thought, you know, it's just kind of this dark like this, this deep, scary voice. And, 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 and Satan's voice, Satan is the enemy of our soul. Satan is the enemy of our spirit. Satan is the enemy of all mankind, womankind, humankind. He is our enemy. He is our common enemy. If you are saved, he is your enemy. If you are not a believer, if you're not a Christian, he is your enemy. He's God's enemy. He's the enemy against Christ. He is the number one enemy against this entire world. And he is the tempter. He is the liar. The Bible says that he is, he is a liar and the father of it. Oftentimes when we look at all of the evil things that are happening in this world, we say, look at all this evil. God, why is this happening? Well, you cannot interpret what's happening in life only through people and through God. They also have to take into account the enemy, the tempter, the evil one. But how does it happen? 2 Samuel 15. This is a pretty involved story, but I'm going to give you a summary of it. David was the king of Israel, and he had an older son who had some problems with his father, David. Now, David was a good man, and he was a holy man, but he was not a perfect man. He committed adultery, and from that adultery, some of the effects of his sin, when you see, when you see a, an authority figure that you believe in and trust in fall, there can have a trickle-down effect into your life. And, and basically, it affected the way his son followed his father as the king, and it, was, it also affected the way David, the father, treated his son Absalom. He did not really treat him very well. Absalom, and it's a long story, but basically they have very, very, very difficult relationship. Are there difficult relationships in your life? Challenging ones, ones with a history of I did right and wrong and they did right and they did wrong. Now, typically we want to say I'm right, they're wrong, but that's generally not the case, right? Usually we want to justify ourselves and demonize someone else, but typically that's not a full picture, 
And that's one of the ways that we know the Bible is actually God's word. This is just a small little side note is because God's word does not keep, look, with, with what the Catholic church calls saints, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't say that they're, they're pure like the driven snow and they've never made mistakes. He shows the mistakes. Amen. He's honest. He's honest about people like even like King David, who wrote much of the book of Psalms. Long story short, Absalom, this older son who had problems with David, his father, begins to sneak around his dad's back for 40 years. 40 years is a long time. For 40 years, he begins to say, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you could come and talk to someone instead of waiting in line to talk to the king for the king to be able to give you a judgment? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was someone that you could talk to that was a little bit more kind of like you were? And he begins to steal the heart. He begins to lay the foundation for an insurrection. He's trying to overthrow the government of his father so that he can steal the kingdom for himself. Now, David had a man in his life that he looked to for good counsel. And this man's name was Ahithophel. And that is in 2 Samuel in chapter number 12. 15, sorry, 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12, 15, 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilead, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. So Absalom is this older son and he's sending now for David's counselor and he's recruiting all of the people who used to be on David's side. He's trying to recruit the people, but now he's also recruiting the helpers and the counselors and even the captain of the guard. So he's recruiting everybody over to his side. If we take a, and look over in 2 Samuel chapter number 16, so in the next chapter, verse 15, so this is 16, 15, 2 Samuel 16, 15, and Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. So we can see now that this counselor Ahithophel is now with David, verse 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give me counsel among you what we should do. And then verse 23, the last verse in the chapter, and the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So if we go back to Psalm 55, when he's talking about the voice of the enemy, we go over from Psalm 55 to verse number to verse number 12. Look, 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 look with me here. Psalm 55 and verse number 12. It begins to describe this enemy and this voice. In verse number three, he says, because of the voice of the enemy, and he begins to describe all of the effects of the voice that it was having. This, this, this internal, this, this voice that created an internal dialogue. Listen, it's, it's a voice of a person that changed the way David talked to himself. Self-talk. It began to affect the way he thought about himself. It began the way he began to think about God. 
It began to change the way that he began to think about everything. Because here's a man that he trusted who used to be on his side and used to be on God's side that now switched over to his son's side and he's not on God's side anymore either. And now this person he used to trust in is saying things that are causing him to have deep hurt. And we know in verse number 12, it says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. I could have carried it if it was an actual enemy. He's saying the voice of the enemy, but then in verse 12, he's describing it further. He says it wasn't really an enemy, like an enemy combatant. It wasn't a soldier from another place that I was fighting against that was saying things. He says, I could have dealt with that. Guys, listen, sometimes people say things and we recognize them as being, that's not really someone that I care too much about. I don't even know that person. They said something mean to me and it's just kind of water off a duck's back. Just kind of just, it doesn't bother me. He's like, I could have carried that. I could have, it doesn't even bother me. And man, there's some people out there that are just hateful. They're evil. They just say awful, awful things, maybe racial things sometimes, just awful things. But we don't know them. They're not a part of our life and it may sting a little bit, but it just kind of whatever and you just kind of brush it off. But then there are other people in your past. By the way, this is not my attempt at trying to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist. This is me reading God's word and him saying, that there was someone from David's past that he used to trust in that now when he began to switch sides and he began to attack David and begin to plot against David and he began to say things about David and against David and he heard those things that when he heard them, it was someone he used to trust in and it became this deafening voice that created a, 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 this, this crazy amount of fear and frustration and anguish and pain. Is there somebody in your mind right now you're thinking of? Here's the thing about the enemy of our soul, Satan. He's like an assassin. He doesn't want to be seen. Satan doesn't want the glory for his work. He can use people in our life that can say things or do things and they can cause us to start thinking the wrong thing about God about ourselves and about others. Satan is a liar. And because we are flesh and blood, I was thinking about this. You know, we are susceptible to temptation as human beings, just like we're susceptible to the weather. How many of you get a sunburn really easy? Anybody? One person. One person? Man, you guys are awesome. How many of you guys get cold really easy? I'm seeing Miss Myra right now. She's already cold. Air conditioning, right? Get cold. Some people, man, I'll, I'll tell you what. After we lived in Nepal, they didn't have any heat in the houses there. And I feel like I get cold really quick. I always keep a jacket in the car. 
Doesn't matter what time of year it is, right? I always keep a, a hoodie or a jacket or a vest or something. Uh, my wife always says, why, why do you have so many sweatshirts? Because I'm cold, that's why, right? I get cold. Look, just like we're susceptible to the weather and we have to prepare against it, whether it's cold or whether it's hot, okay? Uh, we are susceptible to the temptation of Satan. He is the tempter. He tempts our flesh, our broken flesh, meaning our natural state. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, the natural man or the natural person in our natural state, we don't understand the things of God naturally. Naturally, we are vulnerable like a baby is vulnerable. Babies have to be protected and carried and nurtured. They cry and they get upset, but it can mean a bunch of different things. And usually only mothers, sometimes fathers, can interpret what the cry means, right? Change me, feed me, or I'm tired. Usually those are the top ones, at least in my mind, those are the top ones. Vulnerable. They need to be cared for, protected, right? We are vulnerable to Satan's attacks, and his attacks can come through other people. And the most, the most poignant and the most powerful attacks are the ones that come through people that we ought to be able to trust. That we ought to be able to trust. They will say things that hurt us deeply. Things that in their mind, maybe they said, and we will just, they will just walk on. But in our mind, it sticks. And when it sticks, you guys ever get a, uh, a splinter in your finger? Okay. You get a splinter in your finger and you can't quite get it out. Right. What happens if you just leave it alone? Well, I mean, eventually it can get infected. Sometimes it works its way out and that's fantastic. But it, it oftentimes if you just leave it, sometimes if, if it's not too deep and you leave it, it'll come out by itself. But if it's really deep, you've got to figure out a way to get it out. Otherwise it will get infected and it will really, really, really hurt and you'll get sick. You got to go to the hospital. It's not just mom or dad taking the tweezers and popping it out. You've got to go have a professional look at it, right? Right? We all together still? There are some times that people say things, people that we ought to be able to trust. A, a pastor, a religious figure, someone that you trust in your life in a religious sense, a father, a mother, maybe a friend or maybe a, an older friend that you looked up to. And they could, they could have said something. They could have done something. And here we are as a Christian and we're thinking, how can, how, why am I having such a difficult time growing in my faith? And it's because if we take the time to trace it back, there was somebody that said something or did something and they told us a lie about ourselves or they said something and it caused us to begin to think lies about God. Ahithophel was saying things about David. Let's, again, let's take a look and see what David did to get victory over the voice of the enemy. Now, let me just say this before I jump into Psalm 55. I want to read just 
uh, one or two verses. If you're here and you have never yet trusted Christ as your Savior, um, this sermon really is not quite for you just yet because you do not have the victory in your life. You, you still spiritually, everyone either belongs to Jesus Christ and the victory that he won over Satan on the cross and, and, and through the resurrection. Or you belong to Satan. You say, no, I don't. I'm not a Christian, but I don't belong to Satan. You may not realize it, but spiritually, there's only two sides. There's no third side. You're, everyone wants to, wants to make themselves believe that they're their own person, okay? And maybe in a bodily sense, yes, but in a spiritual sense, no. There's only two sides. There is no God above Jehovah God, and there is no evil above Satan. Spiritually, this is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, is that spiritually, when he died on the cross, what he did for us is he... he be, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, to go all the way back, just a brief summary. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, spiritually they died that day. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, meaning made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Those who are unbelievers are so incredibly open and vulnerable to the temptation of Satan because they have not yet been purchased by the blood of Christ bringing them over onto the side of spiritual victory and protection. When we talk about getting saved and we talk about having forgiveness of sin, it's not just in this spiritual and religious sense. It's in a very, very practical and a very day-to-day sense where even when it comes to where somebody said something or somebody did something and that affects me and it affects, it goes deeper than my psyche. It affects my spirit. I can live in a perpetual state of fear. I can live in a perpetual state of doubt. I can live in a perpetual state of defeat. Why? Because if I've never been saved, I'm living on the side of the fallen nature. I'm open and vulnerable. There, hey, there is right now, there is a winning side and there is a losing side. There is a side of defeat and there is a side of victory. When Jesus died on the cross, he won the victory over sin and over hell and over Satan. When Adam and Eve, when they did that sin in the garden, they became under the dominion or under the kingship under the spiritual side of Satan. And we say, where did all the religions in the world come from? Where does all the evil in the world come from? I thought God was in charge of all of this. If God was really in charge, where did all this come from? Well, here's the thing. Is God designed this universe with laws? He's designed it in such a way. And his, listen, his plan is to redeem us from the losing side of sin. To buy the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he did for us on the cross. 
is he purchased our redemption, paid in full. And it, listen, the purchase of the blood of Christ was not given to Satan. Satan doesn't care. It was to, it was to in, 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 the, in, the, in the spiritual justice system, what Jesus did for us on the cross was pay for us to now be a part of the victory and of the liberty and of the freedom that we used to have back before the fall. But before that happens, we're open and vulnerable to Satan. We're open and vulnerable to his lies. It doesn't matter if we live in a secular place like Toronto where most people don't believe in spirituality or maybe just a little bit of spirituality. Some people believe in a very, very shallow sense of spirituality and other people, man, they're deep into it. And there's a lot of people that are religious. But religion and spirituality do not move you from the kingdom of the enemy to the kingdom of victory. Only faith in Jesus Christ does that. He's the only one that has won the victory. He's the only one that's defeated Satan. You say, well, I can save myself. I'm a religious person. Oh, you've defeated Satan, have you? Explain to me how your religious deeds have defeated Satan. Well, I've been baptized. So your belief in water somehow has defeated Satan. Explain that to me. There's got to be a greater power than just you. There has got to be a greater power than just a tank full of water or a little bowl full of water or a little dipper full of water over a baby's head. What's the power? Who broke the power? Well, it's the church. Listen, Satan doesn't recognize the power of the church. He recognizes the power of the blood of Jesus Christ alone because he has to. Why? Because God recognized it. First John chapter two and verse number two says that Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The reason why we are free and free indeed, if we're on the side of believing in Christ alone for our salvation is because God is the one that accepted the blood atonement. This is very doctrinal, but listen, this is why this is why the cotton candy kind of a church where all we do is sing and be happy and say we love Jesus very quickly fades away just like cotton candy because there's no doctrinal truth to get you back to getting victory over the voice of the enemy. The things that you actually deal with every single day come down to whose side are you on spiritually? And we have to have that moment. It's like having back, back in the day, uh, my, 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 my dad was born in Canada, uh, but he grew up in the United States. And back in that time, you had to pick which country are you going to be a citizen of? Now you can have dual citizenship. It's no big deal. But back then it was a big deal. You've got to choose. And maybe uh, someone in this room has had to make that choice where there's a passport you had to give up. There's a citizenship you had to give up in order to be here. I don't know. But it's like that. You say, I'm, I'm going to choose my religion. I'm not going to trust in Christ. Okay, then you're choosing to be on Satan's side. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would make that choice. It's not my word against yours. It's God's word against yours. 
What does it say? It says in, uh, in, in Philippians 2, going back to Philippians. By the way, Satan doesn't care if you're religious. Go be religious. If, you're, listen, if religion is so effective, why do people work so hard at it? They've never been saved, but they work really, really hard at religion. Why? Because they are striving desperately for a peace that they cannot attain. It's always outside of the reach. A little bit more confession, a little bit more money, a little bit more dedication, a little bit more rules, a little bit more try, a little bit more, just a little bit more. But here's the thing. When Christ said on the cross, it is finished, and you accept what he did by faith, Instantly, you have peace. Instantly, you're on his side. Instantly. Instantly. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. You want to have victory over the voice of the enemy? You must be saved by grace. You will never have victory over the voice of the enemy by looking back at a pile of religious works. Some people are so busy building their resume of religion and they're sitting there fighting these voices. Listen, they, they do all, the, all of the religious stuff, but their heart never has peace. So then because their heart doesn't have peace, then they go to the therapist and they t- tell the therapist all their stuff. And, and, and you feel better because you've unloaded a bit. And they give you some techniques, but the techniques are still, in, in a way, a lot of times the techniques, you can, hey, you can never cure a spiritual problem with a technique. With a technique. It's impossible. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. You know what, you know what techniques are? Works. The techniques work. Techniques work if the problem is not spiritual. But if the problem is spiritual, it will never fix a spiritual problem. This is the thing that, and I don't pretend to understand all this. This is the thing that amazes me with therapy sometimes. Is they want to take all of the good parts of religion and then just try to like sketch out all of the things about God and faith. It'll never work. It, it'll never work. Victory over the voice of the enemy doesn't come through techniques doesn't come through therapy. Amen, pastor. Praise the Lord. That's good preaching right there. It is good preaching right there. It's nice and quiet in here, and I like that sometimes. It means you're thinking. Sometimes it means you're sleeping, but sometimes it means you're, th- you're thinking. Right? We'll, we'll ne- we will never have victory over the voice of the enemy if we don't come to Jesus Christ and get on his side of victory. His side of victory begins with salvation. Are you telling me I got to give up my religion? My question is, if he paid it all, why would you want to keep it? Why would you want to keep it? Uh, my, my, my kids have uh, one of those little play, one of those little play uh, kitchens, a little fake kitchen, kiddo kitchen, plastic food, Right, little plastic stove. Right? And they play. Right? 
they play and Savannah puts on a little apron and, and Marcus comes and he's the chef and maybe he's got a hat, you know, and he's just chopping things up on his little plastic, but it's all plastic and it's all make-believe, it's all pretend. Okay, but then I call or April calls, lunch is ready. Why on earth would they say, no, no, we're good. Say, Pastor, it's mean to call other religions make-believe. If it was real, you would have peace. My question to you is, do you have peace? And thank God the peace is a gift. (laughs) The peace is a gift. You say, Pastor, I know I've been saved. I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior. We've got to identify the voice. The voice as being not the voice of that person, not the voice of that person, not the voice of that person from 25 years ago or 25 minutes ago or two days ago or six weeks ago. We've got to identify the voice as not being, that not being the real voice. The real voice, the enemy, listen, the voice that truly causes us not to live in victory and causes us to live in the state that's described in Psalm 55 The true voice is the voice of the enemy of our soul. The voice of the enemy of our soul. Salvation, the word of God. What's the source of truth? Jesus said in John 17, 17. Let's look at that. I'm at 33 minutes. I'll be right up front with you guys. I'm at 33 minutes of preaching, right? I've got the little recorder right here, so I know exactly how much. And I usually go to 40 minutes, right? So that's the plan, just to let you know, when, Pastor, when are you going to stop? That's when I'll stop. Give me seven minutes and I'll be done. John 17 and verse 17. What's the truth? Okay, the first thing is I've got to come on the side of victory, which happens at salvation. The second point If I'm going to have victory over the voice of the enemy, okay, the second point is I have got to start believing the truth of God's word over whatever that person said or whatever I think about myself or whatever I think is true. One of them has to be true. If God's word said something about it, then I've got to believe that and not believe what that person said. Well, but they said that and so that's true. No, it's not true. It's not true if God says it's not true. I'm going to choose to believe what God's word says about me. He says I'm victorious. He says I'm free. He says I'm valued. He says that I have a relationship with him. He says that, 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 that I've been redeemed. He says that I have incredible value before God. He says that I have so much value that he sent his only son to die on the cross for me. So if someone else says something about me or to me or treated me in such a manner that I begin to think of myself as being worthless, who's right? That person or God? God's right. And that means that whatever that person did or whatever that said is on the side of the enemy. That's the enemy's voice. That's Satan's side. So it's not to be trusted. God's word is to be trusted. And in that manner, we can sit there and dissect every little aspect of our life of things that cause incredible amount of self-confidence and pride. Too much of that, man, and you're in big trouble. Pride goeth before destruction, the Bible says. 
The purpose of the cross of Christ is not to increase our self-confidence, but to increase our confidence in Christ alone. To increase our dependence and trust on him. And it comes through the word of God. Psalm, or sorry, John 17, verse 17. Jesus said this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart, to make holy, to make, to make different, to make clean. And whenever we hear the word of God taught, whenever we heard it preached, whenever we read it, or whenever we listen to a good podcast about it, whether teaching or even listening to scripture, and we begin to hear these things, it will automatically, we will automatically begin to think, well, that's not, that's not what I've always thought. That's not, that's not what I've heard. And we need to allow it to sanctify us and to cleanse us and to grow us and to shape us and change us and guide us in our life. And it's as we begin to do this and grow, we begin to realize that we, we are starting to become uh, more and more and more free from the voice of the enemy. More and more free from the voice of the enemy. And it all comes back to the truth. Where's the truth? What's really the truth? It's so funny because when I talk to people sometimes and, and, they, and, they, and they, they begin to share what they're struggling with, I'll give them a verse of scripture. And then they'll shoot back with something they heard on the internet or something they Googled or something they saw on YouTube. And they'll, and, they'll, and, 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 and they'll quote the YouTuber as if it's this incredible authority of truth. No, pastor, that's not true because, and they may not name their name, but they'll say, no, this is true. And it's like, okay, so is the YouTuber true or is God's word true? Christians will go through their Christian life failing and struggling, never having peace, never living in true victory. Simply because of this, they choose to believe something other than God's word is true. Uh, when we lived over in Nepal, I'm not picking on Nepalis. I love them. I mean, we lived, them, we lived with them for seven and a half years. But this is just an indication of some cultures. Some cultures are very superstitious. Meaning whatever happens in their life is a result of something in the spirit world. It's never really their fault. It happened to me. It came upon me, right? And so that's kind of what the culture does is it doesn't really push personal responsibility. It just says the spirit world happened. And so when we're teaching uh, cultures such as that, we, we have to go back to, okay, what does God's word say? Is there a spirit world? Yes. Do you have a personal choice? Yes. You know, here in a secular place like Toronto, the opposite is true. Generally, when something happens in our life, we never generally think of it in terms of a spiritual thing. We never think of it in terms of having a spiritual enemy. And, and usually secular society pushes all the responsibility on you, yourself. You need to, you need to work on self. And, and, and we need to have, have self-confidence and self-care and, and, and inflate self and believe in yourself and self 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 and boy you go through the day. Self, 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 self. power posing in the mirror and, and giving each other, you know, great speeches and, and learning speeches from great movies and saying, I am whoever, right? You pump yourself up. 
And God's word isn't superstitious. It's not teaching you to believe in superstition. And it's not ignoring you as yourself. It's bringing it to the middle. It brings incredible clarity if you let it. Some of you do not have peace because you've been, you've been so, you, you've completely drank the Kool-Aid about self. I got to get my peace. And look, to the point where it's all about self, which means you're incredibly selfish. Selfishness does not bring peace. That is a lie from the enemy. Superstition doesn't bring peace. Selfishness doesn't bring peace. What brings peace? The Savior brings peace. And we find exactly what that is when, we come, when we're willing to come humbly to his word and say, okay, what do you say about this? Find out what he says. Well, this person said this to me and I've always thought of myself as a loser. Some people really deeply struggle with that self-image. It's like, okay, good. Now we're getting somewhere. Does God think you're a loser? Yes or no? No. He, he knows that we're sinners, but he never calls us losers. He calls us victors. He calls us overcomers. Wow. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't, he never tells us, look inside yourself. You're stronger than you think you are. No, of course not. What kind of gobbledygook is that? Now, that may be fine if you're doing some kind of physical pursuit. You're trying to run a marathon, and, and it's like, man, it's mile, it's, it's mile 25, and I've got to go 26.2, and my legs are shot. And you push past, and you find physically, in, 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 in the physical world, yeah, you are stronger than you think you are. Without a doubt, in a physical pursuit, you can find that. But in a spiritual sense, when you're up against the voice of the enemy, guys, you're not stronger than you think you are. Satan's stronger than we think he is. And God always directs the attention and always directs the focus back around to him, to God. Say, look to me for strength. Look to me for help. Look to me in prayer. Look to me to find out the truth about your true situation from the word of God. It is timeless. It will never fail. It has never failed. And that's how we have victory over the voice of the enemy. Pastor, you're just trying to tell us to get saved, read our Bible and pray. Those are the three points. Come on, let's have something a little more than that. Guys, listen, oftentimes we fail in our Christian life and we sink back into living a life of fear and doubt and shame and smallness and sin and pride because we think that we are too big for the basics. We're never too big for the basics. Are you saved? I'm not asking for a verbal response. I'm asking you to ask 
Allow the question. Take the question seriously. If you died right now, do you know for sure that you'd be in heaven? Well, I think I'm a pretty good person is not the right answer. God, God says there's none good in his eyes. Now, to us, we think people are good. But in his, in his eyesight, there is none good. Oh, I can't believe you'd say that. No, no, no. Look, uh, we're trying to receive a compliment and then we're insulting what Jesus did on the cross. God's gonna, if God has a choice, he's not going to respect you over respecting what his son did on the cross. He's not going to make an exception for you or me or my kids or anybody. If you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? Has there been a time? Well, I've kind of always been a Christian. That's not the right answer. I've kind of always been born. I've kind of always been around in the universe and time. No, there was a day that you were born physically. There also must be a day that you're born spiritually. You must be born again. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. You believe it. I've, I've heard the message. I believe that. I'm reaching out in prayer, in belief. Because I believe in my heart, I'm reaching out in prayer, asking God to save me because I believe in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you done that? Are you going to God's word to filter the voices? To filter the past voices? Past voices. Filter the past voices. There's always this, this person said this one thing. And, and it's always stuck with me and I've always thought I couldn't trust God or God wasn't trustworthy or I'm a bad person or I can't ever trust that. Take that back to scripture. Allow God to refine that. Allow him to destroy the power of the voice of the enemy through his word. And if you get to that point, you'll realize right where David is, you'll say, hear me, O God. This is what they're saying this is what you say. Please destroy the voice of the enemy in my life. And he will give you that victory and you'll go forward in peace. Everybody bow your heads, please.